Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're talking about the Oklahoma 1965 UFO wave. That's correct, the Oklahoma UFO 1965 wave. Now, look at this first article from thislandpress.com. You can find a copy of this, or rather a link to it, at the Buy Me a Coffee website. As always, thanks to the people that uh, contribute over there and contribute at uh, Spotify. And while you're at it, if you're listening to this program, go ahead and hit the follow or uh, subscribe button on whatever platform you're on. It doesn't cost anything. Now, this article says, Saucers Over Oklahoma, written by David A. Ferris, dated uh, February 4th, 2015. So it's been a few years. It's got a picture here of these folks uh, standing around uh, looking at what seems to be three different orbs. This is an old picture, an old black and white. It says, Saturday morning, July 31st, 1965, at 1.05 a.m., Officer Lewis Sykes of Winewood Police Department reported sighting a bright object in the sky a few miles northeast of town. He described the object as having a blue-green center with a rotating light circling the midsection. The object abruptly rose into the night sky where it hovered for a few minutes before it began to lose altitude and then move off to the north. The sighting was also confirmed by the Murray County Sheriff's Office. Tinker Air Force Base picked up an unidentified blip on their radar scope at the same time as the Winwood sighting. The object was tracked at an altitude of 8,000 feet until it disappeared from their screen approximately 15 miles southwest of Midwest City. Now, so think about this. You've got two different law enforcement uh, individuals that spot this thing report it. Then... It shows up on radar, okay, and it's big enough that he, that the one uh, police officer describes this as this, this uh, bright light with this green light going around it. So it's not like it's doesn't sound like a flare or something tiny. And it's 1965, so it's not a drone. So it goes on and says the object was tracked at an altitude of 8,000 feet until it disappeared from their screen approximately 15 miles southwest of Midwest City. It was later learned that Carswell Army Air Force Base in Fort Worth, Texas, had also tracked an unidentified object on their radar screen earlier in the evening. So you've got two military installations tracking this thing. It's important. Two military installations tracking on radar. Two law enforcement individuals spot this thing from the ground. A UFO had been witnessed by many people, including members of law enforcement, and tracked on radar by military personnel at two different Air Force bases. This was only the first night. At the time, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, was home to a small, understaffed, underfunded office that was responsible for investigating reports of unidentified flying objects. Project Blue Book was established in 1952 in response to civilian reports of such phenomena. Yeah, a lot of people think that Project Blue Book was mainly uh, established to cover this stuff up. Just a thought. It was highly criticized as a public relations stunt to patronize taxpayers. Yet, America was in a cold war with the Soviet Union. A UFO sighting was more likely to be Russian than extraterrestrial, which was one reason such reports were taken seriously. And if you really think about the condition of the Soviet Union in 1952 and them flying one of these, one of these you know, highly advanced aircraft over the United States, it, would really, it seems pretty laughable when you think about it. There were also civilian UFO organizations that conducted their own investigations within state or regional areas. In 1965, Hayden C. Hughes was the 20-year-old director of the Interplanetary Intelligence of UFOs. 
The purpose of the organization was the study and scientific research of unidentified flying objects. Members included scientists, astronomers, and others interested in the UFO phenomena. Should police or media hear reports of UFO activity, Hughes was notified. That Saturday, Hughes traveled to Wynwood to interview Officer Sykes. It was a busy day for interplanetary intelligence of UFO members who received a wave of reported sightings. On this same day, a man claimed that while fishing at Lake Hefner, he had witnessed a saucer-type craft emerge from the water, hover momentarily, and then fly away. The unnamed witness was reported to have been admitted to a local hospital in a state of shock. Now think about this. Of course, it's 1965. He sees this flying saucer, and he's overcome with shock because he just can't believe what he just saw. By Sunday, August 1st, UFOs were the talk of the town, having been sighted throughout the state. Oklahomans who wanted to glimpse one of these crafts were on alert, armed with binoculars and cameras. When dusk fell, saucer watchers would not be disappointed. Around 9 p.m., Hughes received a phone call from television newsman Mike Buchanan informing him that the highway patrol had received more than 20 reports of UFOs en route toward Oklahoma City. Now think about it. 1965. No cell phones. Someone had to take the time and pick up a phone at home or maybe a pay phone and report this to the police. Hughes drove to the Highway Patrol's lookout tower that was formerly located along Broadway Extension south of Edmond near 122nd Street. He scanned the night sky for hours while reports of these strange flying objects came in over the police radio as they were happening. Tinker Air Force Base reported tracking four UFOs on radar at an altitude of 22,000 feet. The craft appeared as they had the night before, very bright, multicolored, hovering, and then flying off at high rates of speed, sometimes making sharp right-angle turns. The earliest reported sighting near Edmond that Sunday night occurred east of town about 10 p.m. when Wes Pitchford and his wife watched one of the objects as it passed near their home. They were startled to see the craft flying at such a low altitude of approximately a half a mile or less. It was described as circular, about 30 feet in diameter, with a dome on top. Mr. Pitchford said the object first appeared on the eastern horizon, quickly approached his house, and then whooshed by, going west by southwest. So he sees this thing hovering there on the horizon, just zooms up to the house, hovers there, and takes off. Clearly a flying saucer. Meanwhile, at the lookout tower, observers continued their watch without any luck. Until 11.30 p.m. when a craft was reported north of El Reno and moving east, putting it about 20 miles west of the tower. Hughes, six highway patrolmen, and a reporter looked in amazement as a bright, multicolored UFO appeared over the western horizon, heading toward Edmond. Hughes stated, It looked like a light source, dominantly white, and appeared to have a green glow around it. The UFO also seemed to be flashing red, white, and blue lights. It hovered over the area for about an hour. An hour. Doesn't sound like flares or swamp gas or anything like that to me. Officer Joel Cobb of the Edmond Police Department was on duty that Sunday night. It was before midnight when he heard over his police radio a general broadcast to watch for unusual flying objects. He soon witnessed a brightly lighted object which changed color frequently over his house in in the north central area of the town. It appeared to hover briefly, then moved north where it hovered over Graceland Cemetery for several minutes. 
Officer Cobb and his wife watched the object until it suddenly zipped away to the north. Mrs. Cobb reported watching a similar object in the night sky south of town until about 3 a.m. Edmond police officer Chuck Jones was also on duty that Sunday night and saw the strange lights and presence of other witnesses. Their sighting was to the southwest of town and lasted for several minutes, Officer Jones explained. It was brightly lighted, it was not a plane, and it was not a star. The craft was witnessed by many Edmond residents before moving on to the northeast. This craft, or a similar one that traveled in the same direction, flew over Tulsa about an hour and a half later, where it was photographed before it continued on into Kansas. This is amazing. These multiple sightings just seen by uh, a number of police officers, tracked by uh, the U.S. government, witnessed by uh, dozens, if not hundreds of people on the ground. A certified mass UFO sighting. The article continues, it says, Oklahoma was not the only state to experience UFO activity on that hot summer night. By midnight, the UPI wire service reported thousands of UFO reports from Dallas, Texas. Similar sightings were reported in Kansas, New Mexico, Colorado, Nebraska, and Wyoming. By Monday's morning light, August 2nd, tens of thousands of people from seven different states had witnessed UFO activity. At least two U.S. Air Force bases had tracked the strange lights on radar at the same time they were observed by members of the military and law enforcement. Had American airspace been invaded by a foreign presence? Questions went up the Air Force chain of command until they reached the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. The flippant responses pre previously given by the government officials to dismiss such sightings would not work in this case, but they tried anyway. By afternoon that same Monday, the Air Force had solved the UFO mystery of the previous two nights. An official response from the Secretary of Air Force of Information stated, The initial study of the majority of reports received thus far would indicate that observations were astrological in nature. The objects were most likely observed were the planet or stars Jupiter, Capella, Belagius, or Elderbron were, are clearly visible in the eastern sky. The time of the reported sightings and the azimuth and elevation of reported sightings supports this conclusion that there were no aircraft scrambled in an attempt to intercept the reported objects. The lights seen blinking and changing colors were explained as a natural atmospheric phenomena called scintillation, the same effect that causes stars to appear to twinkle. The Air Force response concluded the investigation is continuing. Yeah, we know how the investigations go sometimes, don't we? Robert Risser, who was then the director of the Oklahoma Science and Arts Foundation Planetarium, emphatically disagreed. He told the Oklahoma Journal, That is as far from the truth as you can get. Somebody had made a mistake. These stars and planets are on the opposite side of the Earth from Oklahoma City at this time of year. Wow, that just shows you the arrogance of these people. So they claimed that they were seeing stars that could not have physically been viewed. Something simple enough to disprove that the paper can call up a guy from a local planetarium. He's like, are you kidding me? Riser suggests that someone may have read the star chart wrong or had it upside down. Yep, or maybe they just lied. He did concede that meteors and a touch of mass hysteria could have accounted for some reports and then added, but that still leaves a number of observations still unexplained. By Tuesday, local papers had begun their coverage of the previous night's events in what became a series of articles on the Sooner Saucer sightings. The August 3rd edition of the Edmund Sun reported that the events of the previous Sunday night 
in a front page article under the headline, Edmund Claims Share of Saucer Sightings. This same evening, the Interplanetary Intelligence of UFOs hosted a watch party on the grounds of WKY Radio, which was located on Britain Road south of the Broadway Extension. On the following evening of August 4th, Edmund residents were still seeing UFOs. The Edmund Police Department received a report of four red objects flying toward the town from the northeast at about 8.30 p.m. The sighting was witnessed by a family of five who watched the lights dim and then reappear just as bright. It's almost like these things wanted to be seen. It's almost as if they knew people were looking at them, looking for them and they just showed up there to say, hey, here we are. That's what it seems like. As late Sunday evening of August 1st faded into early Monday morning, the objects continued to travel northeast from the Oklahoma City area. Just after midnight, Tulsa residents watched as the lights approached from the west. At around 12.30 a.m., four members of the Full Gospel Chapel were leaving for the evening when they witnessed the phenomena. They watched for about an hour as the lights traveled overhead, continuing in their northeast direction until they disappeared over Sand Springs. The Reverend Buster Stolmeyer said, We counted 17 or better that were distinct. It's odd. They would go a distance, then stop, change collar, then go on. The collars changed slowly from white to green to red. They were together, but were not in formation. One seemed to zigzag or sway in and out. Not just an honest description of what this guy saw. At approximately 1.45 a.m., a 14-year-old Tulsa paper boy was poised to make UFO history. Alan Smith and his father had observed the strange lights the night before. This night, father and son stood at the ready in their backyard, armed with a Boy Scout camera. Also present were Alan's 18-year-old sister, Shirley her husband, Ron Hall, and the Smith's next-door neighbor, Daryl Swimmer. The object came into view from the western sky as it continued its north-by-northeast direction. It appeared to the group as a blob of rotating multicolored lights and was reported to emit a whining sound. As the object increased its speed, the lights became brighter and the whining pitch intensified. The group noticed that the neighborhood dogs began to howl, apparently in response to the object's proximity. Witness estimated the object was between 40 to 60 feet in diameter. Alan waited until the lights were overhead, then pointed his camera and clicked the shutter. Despite the following few days of UFO hysteria in the news, the Smiths waited a week before taking the roll of film to the XL Camera Store at 914 South Detroit in Tulsa for developing. When the photos were ready, the family was disappointed to find no image of the strange lights. Examination of the negatives revealed there were two photos that had not been developed. One appeared to be a multicolored blob near the corner of the frame. The Smiths returned the following day to have the photo in question developed. When it was ready, the family was amazed to see an image of what they had watched fly overhead that early Monday morning. What appeared as a blob of light to observers was captured on film as a saucer-shaped object displaying different color sections separated by solid black lines. Now you have to wonder if those first two pictures were taken by the, by the uh, developer who just couldn't help themselves, or if this was some sort of government inter intervention, some sort of, you know, men in black deep state ops. The, Smiths fam the Smith family finally realized that they were in possession of a good quality UFO photo, but were not sure what to do with it. 
a neighbor at the Smith's telephone to Hayden Hughes and asked him if he would be interested in seeing an unusual photograph taken a couple of weeks earlier, the same night that Hughes had sighted a similar object. Hughes arrived at the Smith's house with Cliff King, a photographer for the Oklahoma Journal. Besides interviewing witnesses and examining the unusual photo, King attempted to duplicate the image under the same circumstances. He stood in the backyard at approximately the same time of night to eliminate the possibility of the voice camera lens was flawed or that the image was merely a reflection of an earthbound object. John Gum, a chief photographer for the Oklahoma Journal, examined the roll of film shot by King in addition to the photo and negative of Smith's UFO. The object was estimated to be approximately 50 feet in diameter and less than a mile away in distance. The journal knew they had an important story, but wanted to be cautious before reporting something as incredible as a UFO photo. Witnesses present when the photo was taken were interviewed by the journal's aviation editor, Jim Krause, who first learned of the incident from a Tulsa reporter. Additional interviews were conducted by associate editor Bill Boykin and publisher W.P. Bill Atkinson. By early October, the newsmen were satisfied. On Tuesday, October 5, 1965, the Oklahoma Journal presented photographic evidence of the UFOs seen over Oklahoma in a front-page article. The paper had purchased the photo and negative from the Smiths for $15. Oh, man. Talk about a deal. Hughes was also in possession of copies of the photo and negatives. With permission, he supplied fellow UFO researchers and the media with copies of the now-famous image when requested. Hughes sent copies of the photo to Eastman Kodak and the office of Project Blue Book at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Both offices responded with the same conclusion that photo analysis was useless without the original negative. Yeah, they want to get that negative. In the meantime, Smith's photo, now property of the Oklahoma Journal, was receiving much attention. It appeared in publications worldwide and continues to be reprinted in books and articles today. It reached its height of popularity when it appeared in the April 1st, 1966 issue of Life magazine. This was when Project Blue Book decided that they wanted another look at the mysterious photo, and this time they insisted on seeing the original and the negative. The journal complied, and on June 9, 1966, the Air Force's Photo Processing and Photo Analysis Division completed their official report. It read in part, Using the 2.5 image size and the camera range data quoted in the journal article, the object become approximately 30 feet in diameter or 40% smaller than quoted in the article, 50 feet, at a range of less than one mile. The report concluded, quote, photo processing personnel noted that the image bears a resemblance, although it doesn't appear identical to the effect they have observed obtained by photographing a multicolored revolving filter floodlight of the type used to eliminate and color aluminum trees during the Christmas season. Despite any reservations Air Force investigators may have had about what the object in the photograph was, their conclusions regarding size and distance matched that of the journal's analysis and eyewitnesses. So I guess they had this multicolored revolving light that you used to eliminate Christmas trees at a mile up in the sky. Not strange. Attempts were later made by civilian photographers to recreate the photo using a multicolored revolving filter floodlight, but the results were not a match. In 1977, a civilian UFO research group from Phoenix, Arizona, known as Ground Saucer Watch, analyzed the photo using new computer scanning techniques. Their results were est also estimated the object photographed to be less than one mile away and about 30 to 40 feet in diameter. 
It was also determined that the density of the lines separating the colors on the night on the object were greater than the surrounding night sky. Their conclusion was that the photograph captured the image of a single solid three-dimensional object, approximately the shape of a saucer. So whatever became of the original photo a negative, the author asked, that is what Hughes would like to know. A copy negative had remained in his possession for decades until he generously lent it to the producers of a television show, Unsolved Mysteries. Perhaps someday they will solve the mystery of what they did with it. Oh boy. So here you go again. I mean, show it's different today because everything's digital, but just imagine back then, this thing's on a negative and the guy, it's nobody can disprove it. And eventually he lends it to a television show unsolved mysteries how ironic and the mystery is what did they do with that negative maybe somebody from the deep state slipped into that movie studio and helped themselves to this thing after a summer of ufo sightings without satisfactory explanation the american people were not sure what to think they appealed to their elected representatives who soon understood that these so-called ufo kooks were the same hard-working tax-paying citizens who voted them into office on April 5, 1966, Congress held its first open hearing on the subject of UFOs. Representative L. Mendel Rivers of South Carolina had the dubious honor of heading the meeting, which seemed to be an attempt to patronize voters for another term. Nothing was resolved, and Project Blue Book was now under more pressure than ever to come up with answers. By this point, the Air Force had had enough of the UFO business. Attempts to solve the mysterious phenomena were unsuccessful, as were their responses to dismissed sightings. In 1966, as a means to an end, the previous two decades of reports collected by Project Blue Book were analyzed by a team of scientists at Colorado University under the direction of Dr. Edward Uller Condon. The Condon Committee, as it became known, was controversial from the start. Dr. Condon was criticized for having already made up his mind in regard to the non-existence of UFOs. It seemed as if the American voters and taxpayers were again being patronized. By December of 1968, the committee's predictable conclusions were published in the Condon Report. It stated that UFOs were not of significance for scientific study and recommended that Project Blue Book be canceled. The following year, the Air Force was officially relieved of its responsibility to, to investigate UFOs and presently does not collect reports of such sightings. Of course, this article is a few years old. Ironically, the greatest number of official government documents involving UFOs belongs to the U.S. Navy. Well, the Navy is uh, really highly regarded for their intelligence gathering capabilities, and you can get into that, but yeah, I think that's where the secrets are buried. Now, before I close this up, I included this I included this uh, second uh, screenshot here. Uh, it's from Oklahoma.com, and it they, they post this little flashback thing they do apparently sometimes. It says, we run a throwback image each week showcasing Oklahoma's history. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, The Oklahoman, and like us at Facebook, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Linda Lynn, news research editor, and thanks to them for doing this. This is awesome. They have this picture from 1965 of this police officer. Now, I just talked to you about all the dozens, if not hundreds, maybe thousands of people that saw these things, all kinds of reports. Multiple police officers reporting this, you know, county sheriffs, uh, city cops. These things appeared on two different government radar installations. They were just seen all over the state in multiple states surrounding. That's the context. These 30 foot uh, across, 40 foot across uh, UFO flying saucer actually photographed. Here we go. It says Oklahoma City Police Officer Richard Boyd 
holds a small parachute with a flare attached in 1965 for at least three straight days. The front pages of the Daily Oklahoman reported numerous sightings of unidentified flying objects across the state, parts of the nation, and South America. Residents were shaken by what they had seen in the sky. Colorful flashing lights, kite-shaped object, striped and glowing triangular object, flying saucers, a floating white globe. I mean, just think about that. All the different varieties of UFOs that they have saw. It says, people are upset. They want to know what they are, and we can't tell them, an Oklahoma, an Oklahoma City police dispatcher said. Some officials proposed the numerous UFO sightings, many at high altitudes, might have been caused by meteors, a bright evening star, balloons, optical illusions, and atmospheric conditions. Amid the ongoing police calls, Boyd recovered the small parachute after it was seen floating down near SE-53 and Shields. It's got a picture of this guy. So this is, to me, obviously a setup deal. It doesn't tell you if the flare's been expanded, if the flare's gone off and been burned up or if it's not. But uh, he's the, the, the cop, he's looking at this thing. He's kind of got this smile on his face like, man, what am I doing here? And so this is a parallel narrative. This is 1965 when they're, and they're kind of clumsy at it back then. But on one side of this event, you have dozens, if not hundreds of people, law enforcement officers, all that. They, they reported seeing multiple different UFOs, everything from orbs to uh, triangles, you know, the, the, the big delta-shaped UFOs, to someone taking a picture of a saucer-shaped UFO that appears to be uh, 30, 40 feet across overhead, lights flashing. So it's not like they're just seeing uh, flares drop out of the sky, okay? That's not it. And besides all of the... Uh, Besides all of the eyewitnesses to this mass UFO sighting, it went on for days, by the way, you have at least two uh, recorded instances of government radar installations picking stuff up. I don't think they're going to pick up a flare, not 1965. So you have on one side, you have all this, this massive evidence. Uh, law enforcement, citizens, radar, photographic evidence. And on the other side, you have a, a police officer holding uh, a little, looks like a kid's parachute with what they say is a flare and saying, oh yeah, he found this. That sounds to me like a typical plant. Look, this thing had been going on for several days and people were getting upset about it. Uh, why wouldn't the government go out there and, and uh, just deposit one of these flares on the ground and say, okay, what you saw was a flare. So we're supposed to believe, we're supposed to believe the, the flare theory that this thing was dropped uh, from an airplane, even though the government at the time said, no, we're not doing any of that. We're supposed to believe this was a flare dropped from an airplane somewhere. Just one, that's all, just just a single flare. And that's supposed to convince us that the dozens and dozens of sightings that were, that were reported over uh, multiple states didn't exist. In spite of the fact that the government had previously lied to us and told us that people were simply seeing a collection of stars that they couldn't have seen because those stars would have appeared to people on the opposite side of the planet. I just love this uh, Sooner Saucer story because uh, of the fact that it just shows you in 1965, this stuff was going on and the deep state was just getting, uh, they were just starting to turn the wheels on how to develop parallel narratives and how to lie to people and how to cover up evidence. And you can see how much further they've come along. So if 
you want to see the truth about UFOs, you don't need to go to the government to find the truth, okay? You need to go to the source. Talk to the people that saw these things. What a great story. Until next time, this is UFO Warning. Over and out.